Luke 23 and verse 32. The Bible says, And there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. Now that word malefactors, let me just go ahead and, and give you a definition for that because uh, that's not a word that we would use a lot. A malefactor, in fact, the text really, really defines it for us. It's a criminal that is on his way to be put to death. <laughs> so that's pretty easy to understand. A malefactor. Verse 33, And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be the Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in the letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. I want to stop reading right there, and I want to call your attention to these thieves, these malefactors they're referred to here in Luke's gospel, these two thieves that are being executed along with the Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary's hill. And I'm sure you're probably familiar with the story, one repents, one does not, one refuses. In fact, the old simple outline goes, as you look at those three crosses on the hill, you see one man dying in sin, that's the refusing thief, you see one man dying to sin. That's the repentant thief. And you see one man, the man in the middle, he's dying for sin. I thank God for that man in the middle, don't you? I love that man in the middle. Amen. I'm glad he died for my sin. I want to focus on that repentant thief just for a little bit this morning. I got him on my heart. And I want you to notice a few things about him this morning. I, I've been... Looking as I read the Bible, I've been looking for grace. It's not hard to find. You can find it anywhere you look. It's all in the Bible. This whole book is a book of grace. Grace is God uh, giving you something that you do not deserve and you have not earned. That's what grace is. Grace is anytime God makes a move in our direction. And I've been looking for grace in the Bible. And the Lord put this thief on my heart. And I want to preach on this thought just for a few minutes this morning. Grace in a guilty place. Grace in a guilty place. That's where that thief was. He was in a guilty place, condemned to die for what he has done and the crimes that he committed, not just against the government, but against God Himself. And yet we find that even in a condemned place, even in a, in a guilty place, we find this man 
experiencing and enjoying the grace of God. And I want to preach on that just for a few minutes. Let's have a word of prayer and let's ask God to help us as we look in His Word. Father, in Jesus' name, we love You. We're thankful for the privilege we have just to be in this place today. And Lord, we realize that everything that we have is because of the good grace of God. Lord, we realize that we ought to be in hell this morning. That's what every one of us deserve. But Lord, we're thankful for Your grace. And Lord, I pray that, Lord, as we look at this thief and this text, Lord, I pray that You would help me just to exalt the grace of God and exalt You today. And Lord, I pray for that one that might be hanging on the cross. Lord, hanging in a condemned place. Lord, uh, they don't know when their last breath will be. And they're uh, dying under the condemnation of a holy God. Lord, I pray that You would, uh, Lord, be able to speak to their heart. And Lord, that You would show them Your amazing grace and they would respond in faith. And Father, we ask these things in Jesus' holy, precious name. Amen and amen. When we come to the Gospel of Luke in chapter 23, we come to one of the darkest chapters in our Bible. It is because it is the dark scene of Calvary. It is the Son of God. and He's not hanging there enduring the mockery and the ridicule and the pain and the torture for his own sin or because anything that he had done. But the Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. There was eternal things taking place on that cross. As he hung there from 9 o'clock till 12 o'clock, God turned the lights out at high noon. And from 12 to 3 o'clock, he hung in pitch black darkness over uh, that Calvary scene, over that hill. And in those hours of darkness, God the Father laid on him the iniquity of us all. And an eternal judgment for all of our sin, every sin you've ever committed, every sin that anybody has ever committed. Think about the vilest, the worst sin that any anybody has ever committed, anybody has ever done. It was all laid upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And in those three hours, because He was not just man, but He was God, He was able to suffer an eternity uh, for the, uh, the sins of all humanity. The wrath of God was poured out on them. The judgment of God was poured out on them. Now the reason we get excited about that is because that should have been me on the cross. And that should have been you on the cross. Every one of us deserved to die. But aren't you thankful Jesus not only died uh, for us, He died as us. That's the substitutionary death of Christ. He took your place. He took my place, and I'm thankful for that. Man, that should have been me. That should be me suffering in hell for all of eternity. But I'm glad Jesus took my place. And as we read this chapter, in Jesus, He has done no wrong. Uh, He's not guilty of anything, and yet He's dying as as a sinner. And He's dying in our place. We see, as we even read our text, and you could read the other Gospels, and put it all together. don't have time to put the whole picture together for you this morning. But you'll see where the multitudes, I'm talking about the very same multitudes that once thanked Him for miracles and praised Him uh, for the wonderful works that He had performed. That same multitude, now they're shouting, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! Even His own disciples... That pledge loyalty. You remember Peter, he said, I'll go all the way. Man, I'll never let anybody put a finger, never let anybody. He's gone. He ain't anywhere around here. He's he's hiding in the shadows of the disciples other than John who shows up at the cross. They're all hiding in the shadows for fear. 
The religious leaders that have hated him, schemed against him, organized this this, uh, murder, they seem to be winning, don't they? They seem to be getting their way. Jesus is dying on a cross. Everyone joins in the mockery. Other texts tell us that even the chief priests were mocking Jesus. The scribes were mocking Jesus. The soldiers were mocking Jesus. The onlookers, those that were just in the crowd that day, they're all mocking Him and ridiculing Him. And the Bible tells us that even the two thieves that hung on either side of Jesus, they mocked Him as well. Matthew tells us about it. Mark's gospel tells us about it. How even the thieves got in on the mockery as He's hanging there dying for our sins. And what's amazing about all this to me is the response of the Lord Jesus Christ as He is on the cross, as He's on the way to Calvary, and then as He's he's hanging on the cross. It seems like anybody else, I don't know about you, but when somebody betrays me, if somebody causes me pain and hurt and mockery and, and deserts me and forsakes me, I tell you, I don't know about you, but I want to get even with them. I'm not looking to forgive. I'm looking looking to get back. I'm looking for payback. I'm looking for revenge. Amen. I think we can all bear witness that our flesh wants to get back at people that hurt us. But how many of you realize that's not what Jesus did, is it? Man, He looked at them and we read it. It's in verse number 34. He looked at those Roman soldiers and He said, Father, He said, forgive them for they know not what they do. He didn't just say, I forgive you. He said, Father, forgive them. That's actually totally different. I know Jesus is God and I'm not trying to make a big distinction there, but it's actually totally different because a lot of times when somebody does something to us, man, we'll let them say, well, I forgive you, but you know, you got to get things right with Him up there. You know, A lot of times we'll say, well, well, I forgive you, but I secretly hope God strikes you dead with lightning. I know y'all would never think that. And I don't either. I think worse things than that, amen. That's just what I can say from the pulpit. But that's not what he prayed. He said, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What forgiveness in his heart. Even while he's dying on the cross, there is forgiveness, there is mercy, there is grace. And the ones that are mocking him and crucifying, crucifying him, he's forgiving them, he's saving them, he's dying for them. Isn't that amazing? Scripture tells us that he could have called legions of angels, 12 legions of angels. We don't know exactly how many a legion is, but it's several thousand, maybe five, six thousand, maybe more. He could have called 60, 70, 100,000 angels to come. And we know what one angel can do. Reading the Bible, one angel can wipe out 185,000. One. What could 70,000 angels do? Man, he, he didn't, but yet he never did that. He humbly submitted himself to the will of his Father and he humbly gave himself for the life of the world. And I want to tell you what, isn't it amazing that, that Jesus, even in our text, we see this exemplified, that he did not come to destroy. That's not what he came to do when he came the first time. He could have. He had the power to. But that's not what he came to do. The Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Luke 9, 56. 
John 3, 17, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He come to seek and to save that which was lost. He could have. He had all authority to judge and power to do whatever. But yet, what did He do? He came not to destroy. He came to save. Can I tell you, that's grace right there. That is grace because we deserve destruction. We deserve condemnation. Listen, when Jesus came to this earth the first time, we deserved to be put in hell immediately. But what does He do? He suffers long and He's patient and He preaches and He teaches and He performs miracles of mercy. Just think, He even could have performed miracles of judgment to prove that He was the Son of God. Instead of opening blinded eyes, He could have called fire down from heaven and consumed people and said, See, I am who I said I am. I think I'd believe somebody that did that. But His miracles were not miracles of judgment. The Bible says that He went around doing what? Good. He went, he, did around doing, he went around doing good. Every, every village he did good. He did miracles of mercy. He saw somebody in a, in a hopeless state, in a helpless state, and he changed their life. He opened eyes and he opened deaf ears and he, and he made lame legs to receive strength and he even raised the dead. That's the grace of God. That's the mercy of God. One of the greatest examples of the saving power of Jesus is found in this salvation of the thief on the cross. This testimony of the thief on the cross getting saved, this absolutely, I don't know what it does for you, but it absolutely baffles my imagination. And, and I'll tell you what else it does. It absolutely, I mean, obliterates all the claims of false religion, all the claims of, hey, you need to do this to be saved and you got to do it. Man, it just, this thief on the cross just blows it all out of the water. It's amazing. One writer I read behind said, there's no greater picture of pure grace in the Bible than this right here. Here's what he said. He said that uh, these, these verses deserve to be printed in letters of gold. I say amen to that. I'm just praying God would imprint them on our hearts today. Because it's not hard to find grace in this text. Grace in a guilty place. It's literally, I mean, dripping off every single verse. This thief, he woke up that morning thinking that he was going to die as an executed criminal. And even though he did, he woke up in paradise. Isn't that amazing? That's grace. It's only the grace of God that can take a thief that's dying for all the wickedness that he did and in one moment of salvation take him and eternally change his absolutely... I mean, just change his life, change his destiny. Isn't that amazing? That's, the, that's what God can do in one moment. How many of you got a testimony like that? What God can do in just one moment. This man found grace. I, I want to just point out, this is real simple this morning, but I just want to point out some, some uh, points of grace. I see some grace that's highlighted in this thief's, life, this thief's life, this thief that repented. And I want you to just see a couple of things. Number one, I'm going to put it like this. The first place I see grace in this thief's life, I see grace in his road. Grace in his road. You say, what are you talking about, his road? Well, the road that brought him to Jesus. See, everybody that is saved in here, you got a road. You got a path. You got some circumstances. You got some situations that brought you to Jesus. 
And you may not even know. In fact, you probably didn't even know that's what was going on. You just thought your car broke down. You just thought you got a bad report at the doctor. You just thought somebody randomly knocked on your door. You just thought somebody just randomly handed you a track. You just thought somebody randomly invited you to church. But can I tell you, there is no random with God. He does everything on purpose, and He don't do anything by accident. And you may think, man, you know what? Man, God, it just happened. I just happened to be here, and I just happened to be here. I happened to walk in the door of that church, and I just happened to meet that person, and I just happened to, I just happened to see that billboard. I just happened to hear that song on the radio. I just No, no, no. There are no happenstances with God. God has built a road, and God puts together a path, and God is the organizer of situations, and God is sovereign over all these things things. And it's amazing how this thief, and though his road is messy, and his road is wicked, and he woke up most days of his life and did wicked things, and made wicked choices, and hurt a lot of people. Can you think, I mean, thievery hurts people. This man was a thief. Robbing, that hurts people. How many have ever been stolen from? That will, uh, that will inconvenience your life. That makes you feel insecure. We had our house robbed several years ago. And, uh, of course, they didn't have to be real smart. I left the door unlocked, so I mean, just come right on in. But it just, uh, he, he come in, and I thought, I know this house is messy when we left, but it just looks a little messier. I couldn't tell. When I saw the third lamp on the ground, I'm like, yeah, that wasn't the kids. That wasn't the kids. But I'm going to tell you something. It just makes you feel insecure on inside. That's what, that's what this man was. He was a robber. He was a thief. In fact, it was so bad that he was being executed. It wasn't that he had... Maybe he was a repeat offender. Maybe he had, maybe he had just stolen so much. I, maybe there was other crimes as well. I don't know. All we know is just that he's a thief. But he hurt people. He, 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 uh, he purposely stole from people. This man was a, was a wicked man. His road was a wicked road that he traveled. But yet, in the good grace of God, God led him to Jesus. Jesus, God led him to an interaction with the Son of God. Think about that. Think about Calvary just for a minute. Because Calvary was not an accident. Calvary was not just a a summation of random events that happened to just fall into place. Can I tell you something about the cross? Can I tell you something about Calvary? Calvary was planned in the mind of God before there ever was an earth. The cross was planned before the foundation of the world. It was in the mind of God. Peter, when he got up on Pentecost and preached, that's what he said in Acts 2. He said, Jesus being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken Him by wicked hands, have crucified and slain. He said He was delivered up. Was it the Jews that delivered? Was it the Jews that killed Jesus? No. Was it the Romans that killed Jesus? Not exactly. It was the Godhead that put Jesus on that cross. In fact, if Jesus didn't want to be on the cross, He wouldn't have been on the cross. He had the power not just to take up His life, and that's what we celebrate on this day. I understand. I think we think about Easter, we think about resurrection, we think about Him having the power to take, and that's amazing. That is amazing. Don't ever do it. But what's amazing to me is He had the power to lay His life down. That's equally as amazing. Because you don't have that power. Listen, your life can be taken from you. Somebody wants to shoot you or stab you or slap you, or I guess that'd be a hard slap, wouldn't it? I mean, I'd have to really slap the brains out of you, I guess. But if somebody wanted to take you out of here, they could, and you would have no, you would have no 
choice in the matter. But Jesus said, you can do whatever you want to me. Nobody's taking my life until I get done doing what I came here to do. In fact, He's the one that said, Father, into Thy hands I commend my spirit. That's when He gave up the ghost. Listen, He had power to lay it down. It's so amazing how this thing that was in the mind of God, this thing that was, that was in the heart of God before eternity, planned before the foundation of the world, promised in the Garden of Eden to Adam and Eve while they're, uh, they're in their sin, prophesied by Isaiah 700 years before Jesus was ever born. Isaiah wrote all about Calvary. In fact, I think one could make the argument that the best picture, the best, the best snapshot of Calvary we have in our Bible is not Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. It's Isaiah 53, written 700 years before it ever happened. Jesus Himself preached to the, His disciples that He would be crucified. And it's amazing to me that this event that was in the mind of God in eternity past, all of a sudden just collided with an old thief getting executed for his sins. The eternal just ran into the everyday. And it just had a, just had a mix-up, had a mash-up. Isn't that amazing how God could take something that was planned a long time ago and take somebody who wasn't even thinking he had a tomorrow and he put it all all together and this man could have died any day he could have been executed any day he could have been arrested and called and tried and killed any day but the very day that he is on Calvary's hill dying because he is a thief was the very day that was planned in the mind of God in eternity past you think that's an accident that ain't no accident friend you say what is that that's grace that God would allow him not to just die next to anybody, but to die next to the Son of God. In fact, I'm going to tell you something. I don't know you can believe what you want to believe about this, but God was thinking about that thief before the foundation of the world. He was. You better believe it. Hey, God, hey, you know, how do you know? This thief is actually, he shows up in the Bible, not in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John first. This, these thieves actually show up in the Bible in Isaiah 53. Did you know that? 700 years before Jesus was ever crucified, these thieves are recorded in the Word of God. You say, how so? Well, here's what Isaiah said. Isaiah 53, 12. And Jesus, he, Jesus was numbered among the transgressors. And Mark tells us that that's why he was crucified with two thieves. Mark 15. And with him they crucified two thieves, the one on his right hand, the other on his left, that the scripture was fulfilled which saith, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Isn't that amazing that it was 700 years before this thief ever was born. God was already thinking about him and he said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to put my son, I'm going to put the sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. I'm going to put him right in the middle of two transgressors because one of them is going to want to get saved. Amen. How many believe you serve a God like that? I'm going to tell you something. You might think you're here on accident today. You might think you just randomly accept an invitation or it's just Easter Sunday and that's what you do. You might think it's just a happenstance, just a coincidence. But can I submit something else to you? It is the providence of God. It is the good grace of God that He has led you here today. Not so you could hear me. Not so you could see me. Not so you could be at this church. Not so we could count you on the church attendance or anything. No, 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 friend. It's the grace of God. You 
could be here so you could hear the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It, it may be a thousand million miles from your mind that God would be looking for you and that God would want to save you and that God would want to change your life. It may be a million miles from your mind, but it's on God's heart today. And it's been on His heart before the foundation of the world. God had you on His mind. And when He died on Calvary, He had you on His heart. He died for you. He was thinking about you. And the fact that your road is led here today is the grace of God. Amen. There's grace in His road. Hallelujah. Thank God for it. God has put you face to face with the Son of God. And I want to thank God. Listen, I ought to be in hell today. But I want to thank God. He rearranged my circumstances. Amen. Woo! Hallelujah. I'm trying to act dignified this morning, but I just can't do it. Amen. I want to thank God. Listen, I could have been born in some third world country somewhere. I could have been born. Listen, I could be dancing around some totem pole in a loincloth this morning. But I'm thankful God let me be born in a family that brought me to church. And I heard the gospel. And I got saved. I was face to face with the Son of God. You say, does that make you better? No. I'm not exalting me. I'm exalting Him. That's His good grace. That's God giving me something I did not deserve. It's the grace of God. Amen. There's grace in His road. The road that brought Him to Jesus. <laughs> of all the days He could have died, of all the malefactors He could have been crucified with, one of them just happened to be the eternal Son of God. That was not coincidence. That was providence. Not only do I see grace in his road, I see a second instance of grace in this thief's life. There's grace in his revelation or his realization, whatever you want to call it. It's amazing to me that this thief, all of a sudden he's been a thief his whole life, He's been a criminal, and all of a sudden he starts spouting off some of the best theology I've ever heard in my life. This man, he never went to Bible college. He ain't got no kind of degree. <laughs> I'm talking about just a couple hours, just three hours on the, next to Jesus, and he's already got, man, he's ready to walk, get his, uh, his diploma in biblical studies. Man, look at him. You know, Matthew's gospel and Mark's gospel, they, you got to piece it all together to get the whole story. Uh, Luke doesn't share this piece of information, but Matthew and Mark tell us that these thieves were among the mockers. But something changed. I don't know what, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what it was. You don't either. And since I'm the one with the microphone, I'm going to tell you what I think. I think, well, I don't know what I think, honestly. I don't know. But I got a couple options. All right, let me give you a couple of them. Maybe. He could have heard of Jesus before his arrest, before of all that. He could have been in some of the multitudes of crowds that heard him teach and heard him preach and all those things. That's not far from the realm of possibility, is it? No. Maybe this thief, uh, maybe he just read what was written over his head. You see, they, uh, 
See, they wrote that to mock and make fun of him, king of the Jews. King of the Jews. They wrote that to make fun of him. But you know what? This thief figures out kings have kingdoms. <laughs> this man's got a kingdom. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He said, I'll tell you how I know he's a king. They wrote it over his head. Here it is right there. And the people that were trying to mock him, they ended up writing a gospel track. Didn't even know it. Maybe, I don't know, maybe this is the one I kind of lean toward. Maybe that thief heard Jesus. As Jesus looked at all of his mockers, all of his persecutors, all of his murderers. And then he said, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Maybe he heard about that forgiveness. I don't know about you, but there's something inside of every one of our hearts. That's what we long for. That's what we need. See, we know we're sinners. We know we deserve. We know there's none good, no, not one. There's something inside of us. We know we're all in trouble. People know that Holy, the Holy Spirit comes along, puts us under command. We know, and we know what we need is forgiveness. And there's only one that can forgive sins. That's God alone. I can just see that thief. He looks over and he says, man, if he could forgive them. He said, I wonder if he could forgive me. I'm here to tell you, yeah, he can. <laughs> yeah, he can. There's never, been one, there's never been one that's gone so far or done so much that he would not forgive them. This man, whatever it was, he, he, he went from this category uh, to mocking Jesus to this category, worshiping Jesus and loving Jesus and believing in Jesus. Whatever it was, there was some repentance in his life. You know what repentance is? <clears throat> That's when you change your mind. I don't know what happened. I don't know where exactly it happened, but somewhere along the line, he changed his mind about who Jesus was. You say, where's the grace in that? Well, let me tell you where the grace is. Because the grace is in this, is that that kind of realization, that kind of recognition, that kind of revelation, it has to come from God. It has to come from God. You remember when Jesus asked Peter, Whom do you say that I am? And Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Here's what Jesus told Peter. He said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. He said, Peter, this is why you know who I am, because God has revealed it unto you. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, he said that no man can say that Jesus is Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. It takes the Holy Spirit of God. It takes God showing you who Jesus is. And if you're sitting in this building and you've heard about this man named Jesus and God is telling you some things and showing you some things, don't take that for granted. Don't take that lightly. God in His grace and in His mercy is revealing to you who Jesus is. And He revealed all kinds of things. I ain't got time to go through the thief's theology, but He had some good ones. He realized that God is one to be feared. You see that in verse number 40? Dost thou not fear God? He, he began to rebuke the other thief. He said, don't you fear God? We're all in the same condemnation. We're all in the same mess. Don't you have any fear of God in you at all? I'm telling you what, that's something we're missing these days, aren't we? a fear of God. People don't, they'll just sin and sin and live how they want to and say what they want to and literally mock the Lord Jesus Christ with no fear of repercussion at all. Can I tell you, that's foolish right there. 
absolutely foolish. Can I tell you, there is a hell, amen. And there is a hell. There is a heaven. Just as sure as there's a heaven, there's a hell. And listen, the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. I'm going to tell you what, listen, you must fear God. You must be afraid that He will put you into hell. And if you can go out here and live how you want and do what you want and do your own thing, that's because you have no fear of God and you do it at your own peril, my friend. This man finally, even though he was strapped to a cross, he finally sobered up and realized, hey... I'm in trouble, not just physically, but eternally. He realized that he was a sinner and deserved death. He said, we're justly in this condemnation. See that at the end of verse 40 and verse 41? Seeing that thou art in the same condemnation, and we indeed justly. You know what that is? That's him realizing that he deserves what he's getting. Did you know you'll never get saved until you agree with God that you're a sinner? You deserve what you're getting. See, we live in a... Everybody, Listen, everybody's been told their whole life you're special and you're good and everybody's good and everything wonderful. Can I tell you, that's exactly the opposite of what the Bible says. The Bible says we're all sinners. And God has never put one person in hell unjustly because everybody deserves condemnation. In fact, God didn't send Jesus to condemn us. We were condemned already. We're already in trouble. We're, you're born in trouble. You need a Savior is what you need. And that's what Jesus is. If God's revealing that to you, I'm telling you, that's His good grace. Don't spurn His grace. He, he knew that Jesus was absolutely perfect. He said, listen, we're receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. Wow. Man, if you can realize that Jesus is perfect and He's not done anything wrong, that's God revealing that to you. He knew Jesus was Lord, didn't He? He said unto Jesus, Lord. He knew Jesus was King, didn't He? He said, when you come into your kingdom... Remember me? He knew Jesus was not going to stay dead. The thief believed in the resurrection. How about that? He said, when you come into your kingdom, that thief knew Jesus wasn't going to stay dead. He's going to get up and enter into his kingdom one day. Man, this thief got some great theology. No, he's got better theology than Joel Osteen. Somebody say amen right there. He believed in the resurrection. And if God has come and revealed these things to you, I'm here to tell you, that is the grace of God. If He lets you sit under a, a, a preaching, some preaching that tells you who Jesus is, if He's speaking to your heart right now, if He's showing you those things, I'm here to tell you that is the good grace of God. I'm glad that I know who Jesus is. I'm glad for the day He come to me. I was a nine-year-old boy. Listen, you ain't got to be old. You ain't got to be smart because I was neither one of those things. I'm old now, but I'm still not smart. And listen, God came to me and He revealed. He showed me my condition. He said, Chris, you're a sinner. Jesus is the Savior. Why don't you come? And in His grace and in His mercy, He revealed Himself to me. That's grace. That's grace. You know, there's some people, the only witness they have of God is creation and a conscience. Now, that's enough to be judged. Romans 1 said that's enough. But listen, God's been real good to you. You live in North Carolina. You live in the Bible Belt. You got, you got more than just creation and a conscience. Uh, you got gospel witnesses on every, uh, on every TV and every radio and, 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 and churches on every corner and billboards and all kinds. Of, there's gospel witnesses all over the place. You say, what is that? That's grace. That's grace. Don't ignore that. Don't spurn that. There's grace in His road. There's grace in His realization. Realize who Jesus is. And then let me give this last one and I'm done. 
there's grace in his reward. In his reward. In what he received. What did this man get? Verse 43, Jesus said to them, said to him, Verily I said to thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Now, I'm not going to get into all this stuff about the difference between paradise and heaven. Come back another time. We'll talk about that. Let's just focus on this part right here where it says, Today shalt thou be with me. In fact, that's going to be the best part of heaven anyway. Heaven's not about streets of gold and mansions and all that. I'm telling you what heaven's about. Heaven's about being with him. Jesus said, I tell you what, you are with me now. That's what he got. Now, what did this mean? I'm trying, listen, I'm searching the scriptures. I, I'm, looking, I, I, I'm looking all through here. I'm trying to find what did this man do to deserve a reward like this? What did he do? How come he gets this? How come he gets to go to heaven? How come he, how come he gets uh, Jesus? How, how come he gets to be with Jesus? This man's a criminal, but yet he's treated like somebody who has perfect righteousness and perfect holiness. You say, what is that? It's called grace. Grace is God giving you something that you do not deserve and you have not earned. Salvation. Let me tell you something about salvation. It is all by the grace of God through faith. You place your faith in Jesus. You put your faith in who Jesus is and He gives you what you could never earn on your own and what you will never deserve if you have a thousand lifetimes. He gives you perfection. What a blessed reward. Reward of grace that we have. And the thief, he is the poster boy, isn't he, for somebody saved by the grace of God? That it's all by grace? I mean, this man, he absolutely his salvation experience absolutely devastates the claims of most religions that you gotta do something to go to heaven. It's absolutely false. This man, he couldn't do it. He was hung on a cross. He couldn't go, he, he couldn't go join a church, could he? He couldn't be baptized, could he? Listen, he couldn't, he couldn't even get down on his knees to pray. Couldn't even bend his knees to pray. How about that? He couldn't light a candle. He couldn't give an offering. He couldn't sing in the choir. He couldn't teach a class. He couldn't be a deacon. He couldn't dress modestly. <laughs> He's hanging there naked. <laughs> he couldn't memorize any scripture. He couldn't do anything. All the things that, 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 that religion tells you, you've got to do this to be saved. He blows it all out of the water. He can't do any of these things. But Jesus said, hey, you, you're with me now. You know what that is? That's grace. That's grace. Let's just know that salvation is in none of these things. I don't care how many churches you're a member of. I don't care. Listen, you can get baptized in every creek till every tadpole knows your name. Listen, you can listen, you can sing in the choir. Listen, you can go to church. You can do all you can do whatever you want to do. That doesn't mean you're saved. You can be a good person. Maybe you say, well, I'm a good person and I, I help people and I, I don't kick the dog and I don't yell at my wife and I help old ladies across the street. Well, those are all good things, but those won't save you. This man only had two things working for him. He couldn't use his hands. He couldn't use his feet. He could, this man had two things that was working for him. So what was it? It was his mouth and his heart. 
his mouth and his heart. Come find out, that's all you need to be saved. Anybody ever heard of Romans 10, 9? That if thou shalt confess with thy the Lord Jesus and believe in thine that God hath raised him from the dead, he said, thou shalt be saved. Come to find out, you don't need your hands to be saved because God don't need you doing anything for Him. Come to find out, you don't need your feet to be saved because you can't walk straight anyway. Come to find out, all you need is your mouth and your heart. And if you will confess Him as Lord and believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ on the authority of the Word of God, thou shalt be saved. Grace is not a reward for the righteous. Grace is a gift for the guilty. It comes to those that cannot help themselves and are tired of trying to work their way to heaven and feel insufficient and under a load of guilt and shame and sin and it comes to you and it doesn't tell you to do anything. In fact, it comes to you and says, hey, quit doing something and let me take care of you. Grace comes to us and it picks us up out of the mire of sin and it puts our foot on a rock and establishes our goal and absolutely changes our lives. Amen. Now, listen, all them things he could not do. Listen, this man's living in heaven now. He can do all them things now. Isn't it amazing? God saves somebody and make you do all them things. Religion tells you you got to do to be saved. Oh, man. How about that? Grace. The whole thing's grace, isn't it? Grace in the guilty place. Miss Maddie, I want you to come around to the piano this morning. It's afternoon now, ain't it? Some of y'all bellies, you, know, you already know what time it is. You don't have to look at the clock. Man, if salvation had to be earned, this thief, he'd have been out, wouldn't he? But I'm glad, I'm glad it's not that way. It's by grace. It's God giving it to us. We don't deserve it. It's by faith. And that's what that man did. He placed his faith in Jesus, who he was. And he received salvation. The sad truth is, is that we know he wasn't the only thief there, right? There were two, right? His story is a lot different, wasn't it? As far as we know, his story was he died in the same proximity. Because listen, he wasn't he wasn't it wasn't refusing thief, repentant thief, and then Jesus. Jesus was in the what? He's in the middle. That means all men, anybody, left or right. They were all within proximity. And if the thief on this side could talk to the thief on that side, then you know the thief on this side heard everything that Jesus was saying. He had the same opportunity. He had the same chance. As far as we know, he died and went to hell. You say, well, he must have been a worse thief. No, he could have been not as bad as the one who got saved. It all came down to Jesus and what he did with Jesus Christ. And that's what it comes down to you. It comes down to all of us, isn't it? What do we do with Jesus? What do we do with Jesus? You'll be one of the two, every single one of us. And, and, and those two thieves represent the only two categories. It's not rich and poor. It's not black and white. It's not middle class, upper class. It's, no, 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 no. God divides just, there's two, there's two divisions with God. That's it. Saved and lost. And you're either in one of those two categories this morning. And if you're saved, I'll tell you what you need to do. You need to thank God for His grace. 
And if you're lost, you need to come. You need to put your faith and trust in Jesus. And you can hear those same words today. You'll be with me. You'll be with me. That's what the Bible says. When the church goes up in the rapture, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. He's living inside of me right now, and one day I'm going to be living with Him, and I'll never leave His presence ever again. I'll be with Him forever and ever and ever. And we won't be singing over there, look what I've done. No, we'll be saying, praise the Lamb of God who has redeemed us to God by His blood. Worthy is the Lamb. Not not what I've done. Worthy is the Lamb. That's what we'll be singing on the other side.